Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeffrey Clossy. Hey, Jay Ree. I like how you call me Jeffrey. Yeah, That's D- not normal. No, it's not. Well, you don't like DJ Clochese. So. <laughs> you know, DJ Jazzy Jeff was, uh, I heard his name recently and I thought of you immediately. I'm like, oh man, it's a good thing Jay isn't with me right now because he'd love to hear that name. DJ Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. Yep. You could have been the Jazzy Jeff. That's, I feel like that's overplayed. And I just fresh think that playing off of your, the weird spelling of your name, which we've already <laughs> covered in this podcast. Uh, wow. Look at you moving us on. That was good, Jay. Well, we've already covered we that. We did. Yes, so we did. What we haven't covered is the World Cup. Oh my, it's so exciting. It is so exciting. I I love the World Cup. I do too. So the World Cup is what? What do you mean the World Cup is what? I just want to make sure everyone knows. Soccer, right? Know. Well, soccer isn't everyone's favorite thing. And I get that. But yeah, it's been so fun. If you don't know, the United States of America plays on Saturday morning. Against the the feisty Dutch. It's a big deal. It is a big time deal. Yeah, yeah well, there. I... I so it's funny because uh, the two teams growing up when I would play FIFA on Genesis and then um, like PlayStation. The video game. The video game. Yes. Sorry for all the for the people who do <laughs> I love that you're like so interested. What is FIFA? Um, that's a good point. Like not <laughs> not everyone's going to know what that is. I, I understand that. But um, and I would always if I didn't choose the U.S. team, the two teams that I liked the most because that is m- the biggest parts of my um, ancestry are Welsh and Dutch and the Americans had to play Wales in their opening game. And I thought, Oh no, like I always used to like, I'm, I'm Welsh, you know, by, but I was totally American in the the game. Like it's all, all conflicted, I, right? I, I, before, but once it starts playing, then you're like, I hate the Welsh. And then, uh, and then, and then now they play the Dutch and the Dutch have always been like, if you grew up liking soccer, or football, as the rest of the world says, then you have to have, if you're in the United States, then in the World Cup, typically you have two teams because the Americans never do very well. So you also have another team, you know, like Brazil or England or Argentina or Italy. Or not France. Or not France. That's where I am right now. (laughs) Please let someone else win. Anybody else but France. But um, so so for me, it was the Dutch. So yeah, I've got my my, uh, loyalties are going to be on display, but yeah, Saturday morning. It's going to be quite, I, it'll be a challenge. It's interesting how the, so the U S men's team didn't make the world cups every four years, like the Olympics. Right. And they didn't make the last one. They didn't qualify, but the, the women, the American women have won the last like three, I think. So they are dominant on the world stage, but the, that gap is closing. They've lost several games in a row. Yeah. The gap, the gap is closing. It is, but that's okay. The gap is also closing between you and Robbie as host, co-host in the podcast. <laughs> were you talking about Gap the store? No. What? Suddenly, I thought you were talking about the Gap, like no. you were making a little the store. Joke. No, I was. I don't know if the Gap is closing. <laughs> That's I, what I thought. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was. I was trying to transition into the actual the actual meat of the podcast because I don't think people tuned in for our World Cup analysis. I got to be honest. I'm I bet sure. we'll get some texts that say they loved it. Yeah, but I, we did. We will not. We get, continued what? in acts, right? Do you get texts that say they loved the banter on the podcast? I don't know. No, no I don't. You just, you're just like too optimistic. Yeah, There's just, no way. Yeah, wishing someone could send me one. Maybe now someone will. Yeah, someone will. will say I, I enjoyed your part of the banter, but they'll make sure that they don't enjoy mine. When Jay said that thing about gap closing, I really got sad. You got really concerned, <laughs> by the way. 
You know, I bought so much Gap clothes from the Gap. When I mean, that was like the, yeah. Gap and Old Navy. Yep. It was mostly high school. Yeah, it's mostly Old Navy. This is not the podcast, man. All right, so we were in Axe this Sunday. We were in Axe. We're still in Axe. We're almost done. Yeah, that's awesome. We're almost it's through Axe. It's been a great year. We have two more weeks in Axe. Two more weeks, and then we have the Sunday before Christmas, and then Christmas. Yeah. So it's going to be awesome. So this one was on Paul's testimony before King Agrippa. And that was it? That name rolls off. King Agrippa? Yeah. You like that? Yeah, I do. Okay. It's interesting how you have this like- That's what you got out of the Increasing- No, no, it's not. (laughs) I just thought when you said it. If we have another boy, I'm naming him Agrippa. And maybe Felix, but you know. Festus. Yeah. But this growing authority that Paul- Do you think there's a trio of brothers somewhere that are Felix, Festus, and Agrippa? I'm sure there is. There has to be. If you know of anyone, listeners, I need your help. If you know of anyone who's named their three boys, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, I'd be so excited. If I got a third cat, I would change the other cat's names to Felix and Festus and have Agrippa. That's what I'm going to do. Next time I get a batch of three cats. So Jay is asking, if someone could drop a cat off at Jay's house, he really wants to. (laughs) No, I've I've already said that once you go over two, something's not right. You can't, you can't. Two cats, you're like, oh, you love cats. Three cats, oh, you love cats too much. Like, yes. you should spend time with people. <laughs> so, anyway. What I was thinking, though, yeah. about Agrippa, yes. it's I I'm complete, I continue to be amazed as we focus on this, like, slowly and absorbing it each week, how the opponents of Paul wanted to silence him and wanted to stop the gospel from being proclaimed. That was, like, their goal. Yeah. And... The more they do that, the more they put energy into that, the more God takes their energies and uses it for the advance of the gospel. And it just, it's not a surprise, I don't think, to anyone, but it's amazing to see it over and over again as he gets to speak with people in higher and higher authority. That is really, so that, I didn't think about that. I should have, I I should have mentioned that. Um, But I think that idea that, that the more Christianity, we talk about persecution, the more Christianity is persecuted, the more it spreads. But here's a practical real world way in which that happens. And it's good for us to keep in mind that the more historically, the more people have tried to silence the gospel, the more it has, it has grown and has gone out to bigger platforms. It, it actually gives it a platform. If the Jews in Jerusalem there had not persecuted Paul, if they had just let him go, then Paul would not be standing before King Agrippa sharing the gospel and would not be going to Rome to do that. But that was what God had planned. And so um, this is often how God works. It's it's Genesis 50, Joseph saying that what you you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So even the battle against um you know, what we look, I think that's could be helpful for us in the culture today. When you think that Christianity, I was talking to someone, they said, well, it just feels like Christianity has become the enemy. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that that is going to happen at times, but there's nothing to fear in that because that's God's design in that season. That if we're, if, if it's seen um, as something that needs to be stopped, that has never worked in in the history of the world. 
to try to stop the gospel from going out. It never has. And the idea that this time of year too, I think people can feel that more intensely around Christmas and well, it's not called Christmas in this store. It's called a holiday. This this war on Christmas idea, but the war on Christmas was fought 2000 years ago by a king named Herod and he was unsuccessful. He, he tried to end Christmas by killing baby Jesus and finding him, and it didn't work. Right. And so as a follower of Jesus, we don't need to be defensive about it or worried. Uh, God knows what he's doing. We can say Merry Christmas to each other, right? Yes. But, but we're not going to expect that the world will do what followers of Jesus do. No, and, and on top of that, I think it's good. There's been a good pruning even in our culture because— cultural Christianity is a dangerous thing to the church when Christianity just becomes a a part of a culture and just like, well, normal. And I just, I'm Christian because I'm not something else. That's not good for the church overall. And, and so that's what we're kind of supporting when we, when we insist that non-Christians say Merry Christmas, or we, we kind of desire a time in, in history, maybe where everyone just kind of assumed that everyone was a Christian. Um, you were just talking about that with a with a friend that you're in a counseling class with and how he's in a part of the country where every it's just assumed everyone's a Christian and how hard it is to do ministry in yeah in that environment. Yeah, he's in uh, deep south Alabama, rural. And um, actually their population of their county is only like 20,000, so lower than Marinette, like a small population. And the biggest challenge he faces is that people just assume that they're in. And without a living faith. And we, you talked about that on Sunday, the difference between some signifier, like a decision, for example, right. and living faith with Christ. And I, I think that that's what makes our testimonies even more important today. I think when you're in a Christian culture, just identifying yourself as a Christian. When I've been in like Muslim countries um, or countries where there, there are not, uh, not a big population of Christians— just saying I'm a Christian elicits some kind of response and and the ability to talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. But in our country, in our culture, it doesn't. And it's all the more important that that <clears throat> through our story, we can um, we we can better articulate our faith and better articulate the gospel and what we actually say when we when what we actually mean when we say we are a Christian. And that was part of what I was trying to accomplish in the sermon was to that we see Paul with this platform and what he chooses to share and how he chooses to share his testimony. Um, and then and then what he's actually pointing to as the most important thing and what he wants to what he wants to um, make sure that it gets across, that this is not about like being just righteous in the law, that this is not about a certain set of beliefs. But he's actually telling his story which is a powerful choice, first of all, which I didn't talk about on Sunday. It's the question of like, why Why does he tell his story as the defense? Why is it his testimony? Why doesn't he give like, you know, doctrinal statements and, and disputes about the law? Mm-hmm. Like, what, do you, what do you think about that? Like why, what does that, what does it mean that when Paul's given this opportunity to speak, to give a defense to King Agrippa, that he shares his personal testimony um, rather than like, other things he could have done. That's really, that's a good question and an awesome observation. Because a couple of weeks, it just makes me think of a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching, there was a phrase 
about the facts of the gospel. He actually used the word facts, which I, I didn't get time to clue in on, but he didn't do that here. He shared what he experienced. That's a great question. Why would he have done that? I think part of me thinks um, his life and what he did, like what Jesus did to his life, the total tran- the transformation that he experienced was so radical and there was no other explanation for it other than God did something. I think that's part of it, is that his his life of going from overseeing the persecution and the, even the death of Christians to then being this megaphone for them, for Jesus and the gospel, apart from a resurrection encounter with Jesus, there's not a really good psychological explanation for what happened to him, unless right. he was just you know, mad, insane or something. And I, I don't know, to me, that's just compelling. And I think our stories do that for people when they hear what what he has done. And and I think you made the point, it's not always that your story has to be, I came from this horrible experience and now look at me. Because sometimes we think that, right? That there's this pressure. Um, but it's what what right now makes a difference. What right now in your life following Jesus and knowing him and being connected with him daily, how does that matter? And that's super compelling. What, I'm curious what, what you think, though, about that question. Yeah. That question was a good one. Like, why did Paul do that? Well, I think, I mean, I I don't know 100%. Right. I, I like to think it seems as though it has something to do with the audience in the, in the time. You know, I think about Peter at Pentecost. Peter doesn't share his personal testimony. He hmm. shares basically the the theological defense that Jesus is the Messiah. And, um, but that's because who he's speaking to. And so there's something in there that I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, when I think about sharing the gospel with people, if I'm sharing with a non-believer, someone that just is not a follower of Jesus, does not claim to be, then I'm often going to share my personal testimony. I'm not sharing theological points with them because that's, that's not the mind space that they're in. What I want to share is um, how my story fits in is evidence of this greater narrative. So the gospel is the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come, and that we get to be a part of that through forgiveness of sins um, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So if that's the gospel, then that's the big story. And our testimonies are evidence, they're illustrations their evidences for that the truth of that story. So if you're talking to a non-believer and you're you could share with them the story, but but what is evidence of it that that story is real and true is what has happened in your life and in my life. And so our our stories are kind of they're testifying to the truth of this greater story that that we have bought into. And so if I'm with a non-believer, then then I I find that those personal testimonies um, are most impactful. Whereas if I'm talking with somebody who's culturally Christian, who's maybe, um, you know, whatever the situation is, but they're, they're not actually following Jesus, but they're just kind of culturally Christian. Well, then, then I might go more to um, like, yeah, but you know, the Bible is really trustworthy. The resurrection really did happen or that, you know, any of those like theological things might try to demonstrate that. Um, I'm not saying I would always do that. I'm not even saying that. I, I don't know. It just is interesting that Paul sometimes does one, sometimes does the other. I think if nothing else, we can understand that if if nothing else through the book of Acts, you can see that sharing the gospel 
is not a one size fits all, always the same thing approach. It just, it isn't. It's completely spirit led based on the person sharing and the person, the people or person receiving. And, and God has specific things that are stressed in different times. The one unifying factor is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, um, and Paul comes back to that twice. He starts, he bookends. And the only theological thing that he says in that entire testimony really is that God raises from the dead and Jesus is the one that rose from the dead. Like, yeah, that's it. And, and that's, it's through that, that we have the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, the, the centrality of those events, and, you, you know, they are events. They're things that actually happened in history. And I think it's really neat to see how Paul puts so much emphasis on resurrection in these few chapters together. Like, a few weeks ago he did that, and it seemed like he did it very intentionally because he was with Sadducees and Pharisees, and then they started fighting. <laughs> Right. But then now last week he did it when you were preaching and there was no conflict, but he was still focusing on it. Right. So that's just a really, in his mind, you are not sharing the gospel unless you're talking about resurrection. Right. I'm saying that and it might, you might be thinking, yeah, of course. Well, for me, growing up in the church, I think that most of what I thought when I thought gospel was cross. Mm. And I think I was resurrection light. And I don't think anything, anyone intentionally said, let's teach the youth to be resurrection light, but I thought more of what's happening at the cross is my sins are being forgiven and that changes my afterlife destination. And you just said a little while ago, being part of this kingdom is is what yeah. the gospel is. And I think that's why resurrection, like when you underemphasize resurrection, you miss that because resurrection then is all about life. It's now that we have right. experienced that, right? Well, and without the resurrection, everything else, I mean, this is what Paul said. It's all meaningless. It's in vain. Like it's, it's all in vain. And so if you, you could tell people, if you're sharing the gospel, and you could tell them all the great things about who God is, you could even tell them about forgiveness of sins, you could talk to them about heaven. But if the resurrection is not real, then none of those things are good news. Like I, I, you know, even when we talk about those five things, and I think I mentioned this in a sermon, I can't remember where, where I talked about this, but the, you know, when we talk about our, the five words that we use to, to kind of encapsulate the narrative of creation, rebellion, redemption, renewal, glory, that if you take out the, um, the redemption that is like kind of like the, the cross and the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the defeating of sin and death, then nothing else is good news that creation is just a reminder of what was lost, of what we used to have and will never get back. Rebellion is just a, a, a sentence. It's a life sentence of like, well, this is the state that you have to stay in. Renewal even, even living in that new life though, is, um, is just a bar that I can't attain. And glory is a place I'll never see. Without, with, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, without that redemption that happens there, and that buying back. And it is both of those events that that seal that. Like the resurrection is what defines then what happened on the cross. Because the claims of the cross mean nothing if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead. Right? They're, they're just claims. They're they're claims like anybody would have of like if any if anybody said, Well, you can kill me, I will come back, like, okay, well, mm-hmm. Come back then, and Jesus did, and so now that colors everything that He has said and everything that He has done. It interprets all of those things, 
we, had, we talk about seeing through the lens of the resurrection, that now we look back through the lens of the resurrection, and that's how we interpret all of the Old Testament. That's how we interpret, and we interpret everything through that because that's the lens now we see, which is, you know, Paul has said that, others like that, um, you know, that we, that people like long to see this. And, and we've been able to see things that for, you know, generations and generations they, they hoped to see, and now we have seen it. Yeah. It, and, you know, that was just like a side thought I had, but I do think Paul's really being intentional there with how he's doing that. And we worship on Sunday because that was Resurrection Day, right? the first day of the week. And yeah. It, it wasn't a day off, by the way. No, it was not. It was a work day. It was the totally day before a work day, was yeah. the day off. Right. Yeah. So think about that. The early church, that was how much the resurrection mattered. They, like, they, would, they, they would meet on Sunday, on Sunday, even though it was like it was work day. So it'd be after work, the first day of the week, and they're they're getting together. And we think of it as like, oh, in the middle of the weekend, and that's why it's like, no, it's because of the resurrection. It's amazing, like to think of what a radical event it was, what it would take right now to happen for Monday to become what Sunday is. Like, oh, right. It is so world changing what happened in Jesus that even oh, the yeah. rhythms of everyone's week. Now I get there's things encroaching. But it's still it's still the weekend, and Jesus he changed us and he changed the world significantly, and and that's one evidence of it. And I say it because it's one that we can just take for granted because we just do it every week, and we just take for granted that's the way it's been. But it hasn't been that way, right? It hasn't. And I, so when I think about one of the things when I was um, preaching this, and I was trying to get across, but I feel like I feel like sometimes it got a little lost was I want people to know how powerful your story is, like how powerful your testimony um, is. And, and you know, we see the kind of the structure that Paul used of, you know, who who he was before Christ. Um, and again, like emphasizing that idea that like who we were in Christ or before Christ, even though all of our lives looked different before that, and for, for some people, it was a long life of, you know, decades of um, overt rebellion. And for other people, it was a few years. Uh, and for some people, it's like they can't even remember what that was because it was so, you know, they just they don't remember a time where they didn't believe. But regardless, the battle that we face of living our own life and in, in the way that seems right to us is something that doesn't ever go away on this side of eternity. And so we constantly have testimonies. So one of the things that I would have liked to get across better was that this is not just about when you first came to Christ. This is any, any story that happens that you are testifying to the reality and the power of the resurrection and the, and the kingdom that is to come through it. And so if you can focus on that and think like, okay, how is the power, the reality and the power of the resurrection um, on display in my life? How have I seen that? And that's, that's testimony. And sometimes it happens through change in us. Sometimes it happens through how God has works in us and through us and around us. We, we, you know, see testimonies being like, you know, miracles or things that God has done for us. But the biggest change that people can notice, the most tangible thing that people notice are the changes that happen in us, how we function, how we, how we live, how we make decisions. And for all of us as Christians, it should be that there was a time 
and continues to this battle continues to to rage in us of doing thinking things and doing things that seem right to us that we are convinced of and I, I mentioned that like with Paul how he persecuted the church because it seemed right to him he seemed it seemed convinced like he was convinced that this is this is the right way to go and and that is how all of us live our lives apart from Christ and so pointing that out and saying like that is it but but in Christ not only like, like I've been forgiven of my sins, which of foremost is this rebellion against God's rule in my life and, and believing that, that I know the right way and then receiving forgiveness for that, but also walking in the, the newness of life that he offers in that. Um, that's the, that's kind of that, that t- testimony, the, the power. And that can happen on any given day. Like we all, every day I have situations where I can confess that, man, I, I did what seemed right to me here rather than submitting to, to God. And, but in the power of the resurrection, like I'm forgiven for that and I'm empowered to live in a different way and experience something different. Yeah. I love that. That takes the emphasis from, from primarily being about sharing what has happened in the past and moves it into the present reality of life in the kingdom with Jesus filling us and being with us. Like to me, that, I mean, just thinking about my own story, when I met Jesus when I was very young, I still would like to, that's still worth sharing with people. Mm -hmm. It is. But I think right now what it looks like, like how does knowing Jesus change the way I deal with anxiety in my life? How, How does that affect the choices I make when I'm afraid or when my day gets really hard? To me, those are the compelling um, points as I think about what Jesus is doing in me that I would like to talk to people about. And I think the way you're describing testimony, Jay, brings all of those things that we might not think of as testimony into that realm where they need to be. You know, it makes me think, of the, is it First Peter 3.15, right? Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope within you with gentleness and respect. And you can hear that and only think about, I need to give a defense of the facts of what happened on the cross and in the resurrection. That could be a, that's an important part. But I think another really important part is what you're describing. The, the, that's what Paul did in front of Agrippa. The, right. the, the reason he gave was the life change that happened to him. That was the reason. Right. It, right. The defense is not, we've, we've made that with, with apologetics and I, I teach apologetics in the seminary and it's always fun to say like apologetics is not, we it's it's become something in the last century or so that it was not before like apologetics was a defense of and it comes you know that that word in in first peter 3:15 is that um the defense but it's a defense for the hope the reason for the hope that is in you it's it's not a defense of the facts of the theological facts um it's not it's not a defense of creationism it's not a defense of any it's a it's a defense of the hope that is in you. It's a reason for the hope. It's it's why the, the whole the the scenario that Peter is talking about there, the culture that that's happening in, is that the church is being persecuted, and in the midst of that persecution, they have a hope that they are living with some kind of hope that is otherworldly that people would look at and say, "Why are you hopeful? You are in." a very difficult position. And Peter's saying in, in those times you give a defense, you, you you make a defense 
or you give testimony, which is what Paul is doing as King Agrippa is saying, man, why are you in this situation? The, and Paul gives a defense, but his defense is the hope. Like he's, he's explaining why he has this hope. And that defense may or may not be convincing. It won't be convincing to someone who is hardened against God. You can give a defense for the hope that you have and tell you're basically telling them why you have hope, which is because of the resurrection. And somebody could listen to that and say, well, that's foolish. I mean, that's, that's what happens to Paul. They say, you know, you're out of your mind. Like you're, you've gone mad. And Paul's saying like, I haven't like that's, but it sounds that way because the cross is folly. Like it's, it's foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to those um, who do not believe. And I think, um, I, I think remembering that. So there's, there's a lot of random things that we've kind of thrown out, but remembering like one, the power of your story, what makes the story powerful is the, just the question of how has the resurrection impacted my life today? Like what, how do I live differently because of the resurrection? And it, what I love about that is it moves it into the realm of normal everyday conversations and not presentations. So sometimes we think about sharing the gospel as a presentation, Yeah. but it, but when you're thinking about the way Jesus affects your normal everyday life, you can share that in a way that is an everyday conversation. Yeah. As you share about, Hey, the car broke down again with your neighbor as you're getting the mail. Yeah. And the way you talk about that conveys and how you share it conveys what you believe about Jesus and how the resurrection changes, how you experience the unexpected inconvenience and the suffering in your life. People do that really well. I've seen in our church when they are, when they're ill yeah, and they have like a diagnosis is really challenging the way that they are able to articulate how Jesus is with them and suffering in very everyday terms mm-hmm. is what people need to hear. That's testimony. That right. is powerful. So I love that because I think sometimes even taking Paul as an example, and he was an apostle, right? And, and an evangelist that I think some of us would think, yeah, that's not me though. I'm like a normal everyday person. And what you're describing testimony as is just that. It's just something that all of us can do because it's not a presentation and it is not a theological discourse. It is an explanation and a description of what it's like to live with Jesus. And that's why that's that's why so often the most powerful testimonies are in the midst of suffering because the thing the thing that people can't explain is hope in the midst of suffering. It's it's why funerals of believers are such a powerful testimony because how do you explain hope in the midst of suffering? You can explain like if you I I get it. I would rather, I mean, it would be awesome if God was saying, I'm going to glorify myself through you, through like, you're going to make a ton of money, be able to give, you know, give away a ton of money, but provide for, you know, all of your needs and you're you're going to succeed in this way or whatever. I mean, sure. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't choose that way, that road? But the reality is we know that that's not nearly as convincing. Because there's a lot of reasons why people are successful. There's a lot of reasons why people have things. There's a lot of reasons why, I mean, there's a lot of different paths to that kind of worldly success. But, and you could, you could explain it in so many different ways. You could say, you could say, well, God has blessed me in my business. Well, that's great. And and he does. He absolutely does. And it's good to give him glory for that. But the reality is the non-believing world just looks at that and says, well, you're just good at business or you got lucky or whatever the case is. 
but when you when your testimony is like the two to me the two most powerful testimonies especially in our culture is one suffering with true joy and hope like being in hard situations where people say how how is it that you still have hope in this situation and the other is the clear submission of our natural will to the will of God because we believe that his way is better like that's the key of it is when someone says well why would you why would you give so much time in this and if you're able if you're able to to articulate well you know in my flesh i don't really want to like i want to i want to sleep in and i but but my life is not my own my life has been bought it belongs to christ and this is the call of jesus is to to give sacrificially to serve to give my time and my money and my energy and it's better what that produces in me is fruit that i really want i i want that in my life and so I, I, I trust him. I, I believe him that his way is better. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, you made me think too, you know, one of the things that if you have hope and you trust in God's kingship, his sovereignty, um, it means you grumble less. So, so that, that's so one thing that, you know, that we ought to be marked by is that we aren't grumbling all the time. And there's a lot in the world that we could grumble about. There's just no doubt. Right, and we are bombarded with the news about it. But there's a way of acknowledging what is not right in the world without becoming a person who is always just grumbling about it. And to me, I've just been thinking about that lately. I've been thinking about the way we talk with each other, and the grumbling thing has come to my mind a lot, Jay. Like, yeah. and part of our testimony, I think, is that it's not that we're saying everything's great, nothing to worry no. about. No, it's not. It's just we don't think grumbling is going to fix it, and it grumbling indicates that our heart isn't focused on what well, who will fix it and who knows how to fix it. Right. Grumbling comes from bitterness. Yeah. Like it, it comes from hopelessness and, and bitterness and a lack of trust. Because if I'm grumbling, that means I don't actually believe that any of this is better. And we talk about that with our kids of, hey, there's a difference between grieving and grumbling. There's a difference between grieving and, and complaining you, you can grieve over something like there's there's times where, you know, we don't do something that one of the kids wanted to do. And I I want to acknowledge like that's disappointing. I understand why that's disappointing. And it's it's OK to be sad about that and feel disappointed that you're missing out on this thing. But when you go to grumbling or complaining or letting that impact everything else, then you're making a statement about what you believe, like that you believe that it's unjust that you didn't have this thing, that God is withholding something from you, that that he isn't really going, like he, he's not for your good, or that if he is, it's so far down the road that it's not, there's no joy in it right now. Um, and those are dangerous things. Those are cultural things that we've kind of bought into, I think partly because we, we feel like our value is based, we've talked about this before about being busy, but we talk about like, like your value is based on how hard our life is. You know, if your life is easy, then you, that must not be very valuable. And so there we are, we're in a culture where like you, it's, there's a culture of grumbling because there's an identity with that, that that must mean that like, I'm, I'm worthy. Like it's, it's, it's a different thing. I don't know if you, I mean, you're from this area um, more than I am, but, but it's not just this area. I mean, that's like, I've seen that in so many places, like everywhere I've lived, there's been a version of 
the grumbling and complaining. And that's been all throughout history, which is why we're told in scripture, do not grumble and complain. Like, yeah, it has, it just manifests itself differently, you know, through each place, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, it's interesting how all of it is like this feeling of, I want to control my world and I am unable to do so. So now I am angry and grumbling about it. And it, part of our testimony is that we don't control the world and that's okay because we trust the one who does and who is sovereign. And imagine how much grumbling Paul could have done, right? And you've, you've so talked about much, that, right. about his circumstances were not good. And I just brought that up because I do think, you know, our ongoing testimony, you know, every time we talk with someone in our life, like a neighbor, we are giving testimony even when we're not trying to. There's a moment where we actually intentionally do it. I don't want to portray that that's not, it's accidental, but if we if we have a, a demeanor with people that is joyless and kind of complaining and grumbly, it really does make it hard for them to hear when we do try to share, this is actually what Jesus is doing in my life. It's amazing. And it it's it's a transformative thing. It you just there's such a dissonance there. Right. That a person is going to think, I don't oh man. Well but, just think about people you know who grumbling like that you would see as grumbling and complaining. Yes. Would you ever ask them to give the, hey, tell me the reason for the hope that what is, is in you. What is the secret to yeah. the peace that you portray? Right. No. You'd never no. ask that. And yet we think that somehow, and I, I don't know, and the answer is not to just have an artificial joy, but the reality is it's always fascinating to me that through all the different cultures, through all the different eras in history, and God's word is just still so relevant and just like then, the things that you see most commonly back then, the things that were most commonly noticed that, wow, there's something different, was the hope they had, the joy they had, the peace they had, and the love they had. There is power that demonstrated the truth of what they were saying, but what was noticeable were, were, those, were those things, the, their, their joy, their peace, their hope, their love. And those are the same things today. I mean, imagine we talk about this in the in the church, but even in our lives, like if despite any of the circumstances, whatever whatever's going on, um, that if you're displaying a peace that surpasses understanding, a joy that is that is full and, and lasting, a love that is relentless and and not dependent on how you are treated, and a hope that all of this matters, that you, that you are actually, you know, that's demonstrated through perseverance and in steadfastness, people will ask about that. They will wonder about that. It will give opportunities and platforms uh, to be able to, to share the reason for this hope that is, that is in you. And, and when we have that opportunity, we need to be able to articulate, well, that's a supernatural thing that is because of the resurrection. I, I believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And I have identified with him in his life and his death. And it is a constant battle. So these things that you see in me, in my flesh, like there, this is a, this is a battle, but I'm empowered to walk in this way. Not because I'm like becoming, and it's not because I'm a good person that just keeps like, I just make good decisions about my day. It's a daily trusting in the power of the resurrection in, in my own life. It can only be explained by that. Right. Yeah. It's gotta be something, something miraculous. Cause otherwise, like if you said, 
oh, well, I, I tried this new energy drink. I mean, the funny thing is that in our world, that would make more sense to people. Where I started getting up a half hour earlier every yeah. day. Yeah, my morning Things routine like that. really dialed my morning routine in. Yep. And now I am hopeful and joyful and totally at peace and love my neighbor really well. Like, I, <laughs> And we'll believe it and we'll spend all kinds of money to try to get those things because who doesn't want that? And the story, our testimony is that there is a way to have all those things. We are wired to want those things, to want to be peaceful, you know, at peace in the midst of, you know, trials and to, to find joy in all circumstances and to give thanks and, and, and all those things. We want that. We're wired to, to want that. And the gospel is like, is that it's the fulfillment of that through Christ, the resurrected Christ. And we just need to, I think in sharing the testimony, like one, one last thing I would say about it is when you do that, just acknowledging obviously first to yourself that this is what's happening, that I am trusting in him as I take steps of faith and I see God moving in that, like acknowledging this is, this is how Jesus is impacting my life and changing me, which builds my conviction and my faith. Um, but then to know that when you share that with somebody that there is a large percentage of people who will think it's foolish and you have to be okay with that. Like there's no, People often say like, well, I just don't know the answer to this or I don't know how to present this. I, I must have presented it incorrectly because the person didn't respond. Well, not necessarily. Like maybe. I mean, there's definitely incorrect ways of presenting the gospel or like you said, talking about the gospel. But if you stick to the resurrection, um, that's your, that's a pretty safe bet. Um, but you have to know like, yeah, of course. Like there, people are going to hear that and say, well, that's foolishness. Okay, but... There will be others who will hear that and say, that is, that is truth. And they will turn and they will, they'll believe. And that's the power of yeah testimony. So, and we don't give up on the people in our life that respond with its no. foolishness, you no. know, like, and that probably goes without saying, but it's amazing how, should, how no. often, how often that can happen where a person is not interested or thinks it's foolish. Um, but that doesn't mean that we stop. It doesn't mean that now they're out of our life because now that didn't work. No. Actually, it's the opposite. It's We are called to love and continue to love and continue to love and continue to love that person. And that's one of the things that we see in Paul as he's wrapping up and acts is his steadfastness and continued love for people even when they call him a fool. You know, you see that through the favor that he continues to be. He's treated so well as a prisoner in this stage. And it's it can only be explained that he is, he's remarkable. Like people are drawn to him and they like him. Like, it's funny that they, they, the, his captors like him. Now the people who persecuted him and, and brought the charges against him hated him. And that's, that's a common thing. That's a different, different topic for a different day of why it's always the religious people that, that hate the gospel. Um, the world tends to either find it novel, disinteresting, foolish, like all of those things, but it's, it's religious people that hate the gospel. And, um, we tend to think differently than that. We think the religious people would understand it and that the non-religious people would hate it, but that's not historically the case at all. Um, but Paul continues to live this out and, and it's demonstrated, or we see how well he's thought of by the way that he is treated. 
um, because his hope is not, he's not expecting to share with King Agrippa in a way that King Agrippa is going to become a Christian and then release Paul. Like that's not Paul's goal. And, and Paul even says when King Agrippa says, are you going to in such a short time convince me? And, and Paul said like, Man, I, I, I hope for that, whether short or long or whatever, but clearly that's not Paul. Paul is not sharing his testimony with the aim of making King Agrippa, like convincing him to become a Christian. He's sharing his testimony to give a defense for the hope that is in him to the resurrected Christ so that if God, if the Holy Spirit is moving in his heart, that he would hear that and, and be saved. So that's our, that's our aim and our testimonies and our stories and to glorify God in the resurrection. That's beautiful. You know, I just one last thought practically um, of observing that. So you mentioned, I think it was this week where you mentioned the chosen. Yeah. One of the things that has struck me, I haven't watched all of that, but I've watched the first season. One of the things that struck me about it was when you see people sharing about Jesus, who Jesus has impacted and healed, mm-hmm. it is so natural and it is um, full of life and joy. Right. And I just think if you haven't seen any of that, it's worth, it's worth seeing it and just imagining being in that situation and then realizing that he's doing a work in you as well. And sometimes we just have to be attuned to what is that that he's doing. And that can take some thinking. And we just kind of assume we know all the time. We might not. It might take a conversation with someone in your life. What is God? What are you seeing? What's evidence that he's working? Um, but anyway, it just made me think of that, the chosen. When yeah. different people are healed, they just very naturally share it, share what he did. And with conviction. Yeah. Like that's a, that's what's more powerful than you know any of whatever words you think are the right words. Um conviction over your belief. And that's why I'm saying remind yourself every day of how the resurrection is um, matters in your life today and notice like what God is doing through that so that you can, so that you can share with people. So you can, so you, your heart is stirred because if your heart is stirred and you are walking around just in awe and wonder at who God is and what he has done and how he is empowering you to live, um, a life that you were created to live and how you are um, receiving the gifts and the rewards of, of the joy and peace and hope. If you're doing that, then conviction is not going to be a problem. And um, when we focus too much on the content, then that becomes very detached and a detached testimony, regardless of how theologically accurate it is, is not compelling. It's, it's not, compelling at all but a conviction of somebody that's it's the power of the testimony of the blind man who said I, you know i was blind like look i don't know i don't know for sure you know he was saying i don't know who jesus is and we know more than what the blind man knew at that point but he said whether this man is a sinner or not i don't know what i do know is that i was blind and now i see that's testimony with conviction nobody can argue with that and so you know if someone asks you questions that you're like, I don't have the answers to, it's okay to say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about six days of creation and like how that all works. And I don't know about this, you know, this passage in revelation. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know about dinosaurs. Um, but what I do know is that my life, I had spent it living for myself and it was empty. And now I've turned and received forgiveness in Christ and hope in the resurrection and my life is totally changed. Like 
that's what I know. And that's a really powerful thing. And we want to encourage you to, to share your story. And, and if, by the way, if you, we always need help in processing that. And this is why it's important for us to share it, not only with ourselves, but with other, you know, believers and in, in, in the church family. And so that's why it's, that's another reason why it's so important to be connected in community to, um, and I would encourage you if you, uh, if you want to share your story and you're thinking, man, I want to, I, I do want to tell people what God has done and, and I'm not sure how to do that. Talk to us, ask us, like, you know, you could share it at an area lunch. You can share it with other people share it with us. We would love to hear and be encouraged by what God is doing, um, in your lives. Like that's, that's why, that's why we're here to, to hear those stories, to be encouraged, to equip one another. And so uh, we want to encourage you to do that, to reach out, um, email us, call us, talk to us on a Sunday, um, and and let's walk this road together and share and encourage one another with the, the multitude of stories that demonstrate the, the truth of the resurrection. So I think that's it. Jeff, do you have anything that you want to... No, thanks for the conversation, Jay. Yeah. I hope, it was a, hope it ends up being a blessing to those who listen. I hope so too. All right, until next time, grace and peace. Yeah.